Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. We're going through the book of Esther. And I have a a quote for you from a book called The Divine Conspiracy that uh, I'm reading through this book with uh, John McLaughlin and Matt Capina. We've been reading this for actually a year, like literally a year so far. We're not anywhere close to done. But there's a, there's a quote in this book that, you know when you're, you're reading and there's a sentence that arrests your attention and you're just like, that, doesn't, that can't be possible. There's a lot of those sentences in this book, but, I, but here's one of them. With this magnificent God positioned among us, Jesus brings the assurance that our universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be. That's difficult to believe. Jesus brings the assurance that our universe is a perfectly safe place to be because the universe itself doesn't feel all that safe. I think... Everyone can agree to that after uh, the pandemic. Um, the Middle East feels a little fragile right now. Um, there's all sorts of threats coming at us outside of us and inside of us continually. Uh, an airplane could fall out of the sky and land on this building. Uh, there's, we could get a bad diagnosis have a difficult doctor's appointment. Any number of things make this universe feel very dangerous. On top of that, the universe doesn't feel particularly safe if you are a follower of Jesus. Imagine your your excitement as a disciple of Jesus. You're one of the 12 people that he's chosen to turn the world upside down, to spread the gospel mission of his kingdom spreading over the earth. And imagine your excitement and your readiness to go out and spread this gospel and exercise power and control. You would think you would be the safest people on earth. God has chosen you to spread his message. You would think you'd be safe. And then you hear Jesus say things like, I'm sending you out like sheep into a world of wolves. That, That doesn't feel safe, Jesus. That doesn't feel... Um, like, if, if we die, then how's the mission going to continue to spread? Or then you hear Jesus say something like, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. It hated me first. Don't worry about it. That's not good marketing. That's not something that I'm getting excited about being part of this mission. I, I was hoping that the world would become a less dangerous place. But what do we do when we feel like we're living in a dangerous universe? What's the human response to that? We create strongholds. Strongholds are all the ways that we try to protect ourselves from a dangerous world around us. It's all the precautions we take. It's all the walls of protection we put up. I'm reading another book that uh, Justin Dovenmeyer gave me by Mark Sayers. It's called A Non-Anxious Presence. He's a pastor in Australia, and he says this. 
When anxious and concerned about our safety, stability, and security, we create strongholds. These are ways of protecting ourselves against anything that could possibly go wrong in our world. So a modern stronghold could be any number of things. Um, any number of ways we assure ourselves and protect ourselves for now or the future. Maybe it's a retirement fund. Now, is a retirement fund good to have? Yes. Is it wise? Yes. I have a retirement fund. I think they're very important. But it doesn't assure you and protect you against every possible financial calamity in the future. It's not foolproof. So it's not your God. It's not your ultimate protector. It's not a way of making our universe actually safer. What's another modern-day stronghold? Well, some people would say that the government is a stronghold. It's the government's job to protect us against any calamity that could possibly happen. You know, financially, security-wise, all those things. It's the, the government is our stronghold. And that's how cities are created. People started getting together and deciding how to protect themselves as a community. So cities are created. So, you know, we should be able to depend on the government to be our stronghold. The government is important, and God created governments to constrain evil so that there's not pure anarchy and people doing whatever they want to do. But the government isn't a perfect stronghold either. It can't protect us from every scary thing that could happen to us. So sometimes we go to the opposite end of that spectrum and say, well, yeah, that's right. It isn't the government's responsibility to protect us. It's our right to protect ourselves. So the government has to protect our freedom to protect ourselves. That's my stronghold. And sometimes over-obsessing the, over the right to defend ourselves gets in the way of God's plan. Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, a mob came to take Jesus away, and they were supposed to, and that was part of God's plan. And Peter gets out, you know, the right to bear arms. He pulls out his sword and lops off somebody's ear. And what does Jesus say? That's right. That's right. Take care of the rest of them, Peter. He says, put the sword away. Don't you know that if I wanted to, I could have 12 legions of angels now, one angel could probably wipe out mankind. Twelve legions of angels is a scary thought. But Jesus said, that's not the way this is going to go. Because sometimes protecting yourself actually isn't part of the plan. Now, is it wise to protect yourself? Yes. Is it wise to have a security team at church? Yeah, I think so. We do. But that's not our stronghold. We build all sorts of strongholds to protect ourselves against any bad thing that could happen to us. And we do this with our kids and families. Here's the problem. If you, the more you obsess over protecting your kid from every bad thing that could happen to them, the more anxious they become. You are cultivating an anxious human being. And we live in the most anxious generation in history. So how is it possible for Dallas Willard to claim that for those in Christ, the universe is a perfectly safe place to be. In other words, how can we become fearless in a dangerous universe?
I was talking with Kara about the idea of strongholds from this book that Justin gave me, and, and she said, you realize making God your stronghold is all over the Psalms. It's, it's literally everywhere. How do you become resilient? How do you become fearless? You make not human-made things and plans your stronghold. You make God your stronghold. So in your notes, there's a, just a couple passages where this is taught. Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. Psalm 144.2, he is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge. Let's throw the Old Testament book of Nahum in there. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. The more we allow this truth to sink into the marrow of our spiritual life, that God is our stronghold, the more fearless we'll be, the more resilient we'll be. There are two characters in the book of Esther that we're going to look at very briefly today that exemplify and give us a model of what it looks like to have God as your stronghold, who act very bravely and courageously in the world. Not in a not in a, a puffed up way where you're just in your own strength, I'm mustering up courage and I'm a brave man, I'm going to go out there, I'm a brave woman. That's not actual real courage and bravery. That's machismo that ends up fading away and dying out in the most important times. We'll see that later in Peter. Real courage happens at the spiritual level and is empowered only by the Spirit of God. So let's look at these two examples in the book of Esther. The first is, let's look at Mordecai. Now this is in Esther 3. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite. Remember Haman, very evil, very bad. The son of, uh, I don't know how to say that, Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. Look at that next line. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Everyone else is bowing. The king commanded. Haman is second in command. So everywhere he walks, people get up and bow to him except for one, Mordecai, fearless, fearless. Esther 5, 9 tells about after Esther threw this banquet, the first banquet for the king and for Haman. It says, and Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him. He was filled with wrath against Mordecai. You can imagine everybody getting up as, as Haman is walking by and like bowing down to this guy. And Mordecai is just sitting there chewing on a piece of straw. 
probably not chewing on a piece of straw, but that's a cool image, isn't it? Like just like a cowboy, just like I'm not, I'm not bowing down to this person. I don't bow down to any person. Why was Mordecai fearless? We see the answer in Esther 4.14. Jump to there. He's talking to Esther, and he's telling her, there's a plan to destroy all the Jewish people, and you're in position to do something about it. You should go talk to the king. Here's what Mordecai says. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So he gives a secret way when he says, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Why was he fearless? Because he trusted God's promise. God promised to protect and preserve his people. Despite an entire world at times that was trying to destroy them. This little remnant of people. And God said, I'll preserve you. And Mordecai believed him. So when there was a threat, he didn't worry about it. Because ultimately, he, he trusted that God would come through. That God would protect them. What about Esther? Let's see an example of her strength, her bravery, her courage. Esther 4.11 all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. Mordecai is telling her to go approach the king, and she's saying, oh, he'll kill me. I can't do that, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to, to come into the king these 30 days, so I haven't been called to visit him. And if if someone goes to the king without being invited, they're going to get killed. That's what she's saying. Esther 4, 15 and 16. Then Esther told the, the, them to reply to Mordecai. All right, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. fearless. But what energized her fearlessness? Did you catch that? What energized her fearlessness? She said to go get all the people that you know and fast. Fasting is when you decide not to eat for an extended period of time in order to focus on nourishing your spiritual life instead of your physical. It's a way to intensify your prayer life. That's one of the benefits of fasting. It intensifies your prayer life. So Esther was afraid to go before the king, and then she said, okay, tell everyone to go fast, and I'm going to fast and all, the pe all my friends are going to fast. And in doing so, her prayer life was intensified and sharpened, and then she was fearless. Then she went before the king after she had prayed. 
People whose lives are marked by trusting in God's promises and consistent prayer that gradually becomes more fervent over the years have a different type of courage than the rest of us. I've told this story before, but it goes so perfectly with this. I'm going to say it again. Uh, Polycarp was one of the early martyrs of the early centuries of the church. He was discipled by John, the apostle. He was a pastor in a town called Smyrna. And one day, the Roman Empire decided to try to kill every Christian who didn't renounce their faith. So they sent people looking for Polycarp, who's a famous Christian. He was living in town, and his friends came and said, they're going to they're gonna come and they're going to try to kill you. You should leave. And he said, I don't want to. And they said, you please, for our sake. So he moves out of town to a farm. He's at a farm. The Romans are looking for him. They torture some kid, and he tells where Polycarp is. So people run to the farm, and they say, hey, <clears throat> they're on to you. They know where you're at. You should go to another place. Polycarp's like, I don't want to. They said, you really should for us, please. <laughs> Polycarp goes to a, a farm that's a little further out of town. Finally, the soldiers or whoever's collecting, looking for him, find him. And he says, hey, before we go, can, can we feed you? Can we make you a meal? Can we spread a table and just have a feast? Sure, absolutely. That's really nice of you, actually. All right, why don't you do that? Can I go up and pray for an hour? Now, Polycarp was known, one of the things he was known for was for his prayer life. It was constant. It was continuous. So he said, I just, give me an hour to pray before you take me. And you can tell, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to, like, jump out the window. So he said, sure. So he fed him. He went up. He prayed for an hour. And then he came down and he said, I'm ready. They're on the way. And they're like, you're a really nice guy. You're old, you know. You don't really, do you really want to die this way? It's not pretty. It's for entertainment value. And just, all you have to do is renounce your faith in Christ. That's all you have to do. And he's like, he, he was frustrating them because he just kept saying, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. They get to the stadium. I have this stuff in a document if you're interested in reading it completely. But people in the stadium actually heard the voice too. That when Polycarp walked into the stadium, a voice from the heavens said, be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. He goes up. He goes to the center of the stadium. And the magistrate says, this is going to be really easy for you. All you have to do is deny Christ and light incense for the emperor. Worship the emperor. Polycarp says, 86 years He's been good to me. Do you want me to deny him? Not going to happen. So they said, all right, we'll make this. Let's try again. What if you say, away with the atheists? We'll count that. Because the Romans called Christians atheists because they didn't believe in all the gods they believed in. So he said, all you have to do is say, away with the atheists. And you know what, you know what Polycarp did? He looked at the crowd, the people of the people who were there to watch him be martyred, the people who were not Christians, the people who were worshiping Roman gods. And he said, away with the atheists. And they got really, really angry. 
And the magistrate just said, burn him. <laughs> so people started putting wood at his feet. They went to fasten him to the pole. And Polycarp said, yeah, you don't need to fasten me. I'm not going anywhere. They said, we'll bring out a lion. And he said, do it. I'm not afraid. They said, well, we are going to burn you. And he said, then burn me. Do it. What are you waiting for? And he prayed again. A beautiful prayer. That's recorded. And when he was done praying, they lit the, they lit the, the wood and it like swirled up around him like there was a whirlwind of fire that was going up around him that wasn't touching Polycarp. The fire didn't touch him. He was just standing there in the middle of it. And so they said, you're going to have to stab him. You're going to have to kill him. So they, they pierced him and his blood came out and extinguished the fire. And as the fire was going out, and this is witnesses again mention this in different recordings of the event, uh, a dove flew up out of the fire as he died. A dove represents the Holy Spirit. What gives a man like that that type of courage? It's not his own machismo. It's not his own power. It's not his own force. It's not his own brave. Nobody's brave <laughs> when it comes down to it. Nobody's brave. Spirit of God puts that in a person like nothing else will. It makes you brave for every occurrence. Makes you brave to do everything that requires courage. Nothing else does that. Machismo might make you brave for this part of your life, but not this part. Spiritual courage given by the Spirit of God makes you strong and courageous in everything. Everything. Polycarp was fearless because of his prayer life. He was weak and he prayed and then he was strong. He was fearful and then he prayed and then he was courageous. And what makes us courageous? It's the same thing we see in Polycarp. It's the same thing we see in Mordecai. It's the same thing we see in Esther. It's seeing God's promises, believing them, and praying for them to be true in our lives. Machismo is Peter telling Jesus, even if they all leave you, I won't. Even if they all go, even if they all deny you, I won't. That was machismo, and Jesus sniffed it out. You know what he said? Remember what he said to him? You'll deny me three times before the cock crows tonight. I'm, I'm gonna, you remember this, because your strength doesn't work in this situation. It's prayer. This is a, a quote in your notes by Michael Allen in a book, Grounded in Heaven, which is a phenomenal book. Michael says, in prayer, Christians turn from their restless activity to rest their anxieties and needs, their aspirations and joys, their very selves upon God. There's something about going into a prayer with an anxious heart and leaving that prayer with fresh confidence that whatever you pray is in God's hands. I have a manila folder, and it's called Surrender and Release. And it's those times in my life where I'm overwhelmed with stuff to do. I'm overwhelmed with things that I'm anxious about. And I, I take out a piece of just blank paper, and I write all those things down. 
And then I look at it, and I go on a walk, and I pray through each one of them. I'm giving this to you. I don't know what to do about this. I can't fix it. I'm nervous about it. I'm scared. I'm giving that to you. I don't know what to do about this. I'm scared. I'm giving that to you. Surrender and release. There's something about after those prayers, going home, confident, out of my hands. I handed it over to God. Here's three scriptures to boost your faith in God for you to be able to do that too. First one's 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 in your notes. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is a weird thing because this actually works. There is... There is something that happens in human beings that we see a truth like that in Scripture and we know, we might even agree with it and believe that it's true. And here's the weird thing, never do it. It only works as we take these truths and begin to actually pray them. You can know the most powerful piece of information that will make you prosperous and wealthy and healthy. Everything you've ever needed, if you don't do anything, if you don't appropriate that truth, it does you no good. Here we see something that's actually true, that if you humble yourself before God, He will take care of you because He cares for you. He'll take care of it. You can actually do that. It's not just a neat Bible verse. You can go home today and walk somewhere and say, I'm nervous about this. I don't know what to do about it. I'm handing it over to you. You can really do that. Because the wise person is the one who not only hears and knows, but actually does it. This isn't information to be known. It's information to be acted upon. Cast your cares upon God. 2 Timothy 1.7 is a really good one. For God has not given us a spirit of, well, this version is, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So anytime you're not, you're feeling powerless, anytime you're not feeling loving, anytime you don't feel like you're in control, bring those things to God. Those, those are the fertile soil of fear. When you're not acting in those three ways, when you're not believing that you don't have those things, then you act in fear. And finally, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, the hardest to believe of all of them. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you have heard this before? <clears throat> okay. Don't raise your hands for this one. How many of you have prayed that prayer You've handed things over to God, and you're still anxious. Don't raise your hand. You're still anxious. And so what happens? You begin to get bitter. You begin to get frustrated. You actually begin to think that God is powerless to change you. You begin to think that God is powerless to actually give you peace. You say right here, God, that if I pray... If I hand this over to you with thanksgiving, if I let you know that your peace is going to come into my heart, it's going to be a buffer, it's going to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, and I'm not feeling peace right now. 
How many of you have prayed that and you didn't experience the peace? And so you started wondering if God, A, cares, or B, is just powerless. It's just like a nice verse. Here's what this verse is inviting us into. It's not an incantation. Magic words that we say and immediately feel the results. Prayer rarely yields immediate results. What he is inviting you into is a relationship in which you are constantly, constantly bringing these things to him in prayer with a spirit of gratitude which sees, gratitude sees the things that he has already done. So you're remembering with gratitude the ways he's already provided for you and you're bringing this fresh thing. Deuteronomy tells uh, the, the Israelites, constantly remember, constantly talk about what God's done for you. As you move into this new territory, this new land he's promising, constantly look back and look at the ways, remember the ways he's cared for you. And as you do that, this inner strength, this inner capacity for life as it is will grow in you. You don't just say this, you don't just give your, your anxieties to God and immediately no longer feel any anxiety. That's not how it works. This is an ongoing conversational prayer life with God that as you walk with him, as you look back, I'm really nervous financially because this thing's coming up, but man, I remember the way you provided back there. I remember Matthew 6 and hanging on to that and seeing how you provided. I'm really nervous about this conversation I, I need to have right now, but man, I'm grateful for you, the way you worked in this other conversation. I'm and, be and before you know it, you begin to grow more and more confidence in God's ability to come through like you did the last time. That's what gratitude is, remembering what he's already done and applying it to this situation. The way you become fearless in the world is looking at what God promises to do, remembering how he's applied that in the past, and bringing this fresh anxiety to him in prayer. And over time, gradually, you'll become the type of person who does the right thing, no matter how scary it is, because you have this spirit-empowered courage surging through you. How can we make the universe a perfectly safe place to live? Make God your stronghold by learning to rest in his promises, by praying them back to God. What if we were a community of people who were fearless? What if we grew into a community of people who were resilient disciples of Jesus? who knew how to be afraid and present those fears to God and remember how he's cared for us in the past and, been in, and, and then be inspired by his spirit, strengthened by his spirit, who gives us a spirit of power and walks into whatever scary situation he invites us to walk into. <clears throat> Not confident in yourself, that you'll land on your feet, but confident in God.
What if that's the type of people we were? That feels like a type of change that isn't possible. That feels like a type of transformation that isn't possible apart from God, which means you can't fake it, which means it's the real deal, which means it's possible in Christ alone. Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.